Welcome to On the Run with Logan. I'll be your captain this evening. In the summer of 1963, Lee Harvey Oswald worked in a secret lab in New Orleans that created today's soft tissue cancer epidemic from monkey viruses and the polio vaccine. Are today's vaccines actually bioweapons designed to reduce the global population for panopticomic control? It is the year 1964, and a 51-year-old woman has been found murdered in her New Orleans apartment. She was found naked, burned, and stabbed. Neighbors smelt her mattress burning. The killer had set on fire after stabbing her to death. Officials of the time said that someone had broken in, motivated by robbery. Her wallet was empty, and her car was missing. In an apartment known for paper-thin walls, the neighbors heard no noise the night of the murder. Was this a crime of passion, a jaded lover out for revenge, or perhaps a stalker waiting in the shadows for some perfect opportunity? The homicide report showed no evidence of sexual assault. Naked, she lay with her feet towards the head of the bed, contrary to how a person would normally lay. The mattress smoldering. Someone had piled her clothes up on top of her body and tried to burn them. Some of those clothes were still neatly folded. Newspapers ran articles for weeks as details emerged. The apartment had not been broken into, and the security alarm had been turned off. The jewelry box filled with jewels and jewelry was still left behind, leading investigators to believe it was not a robbery. Her car was found eight miles away with a can of spent tear gas nearby. On a wild goose chase for a random sex slasher, police interviewed 150 people but came up with no solid leads. And by summer's end, they let the case go cold. The police chief locked the police report of this incident in his desk until the day he retired. Now, there's something the public wasn't told about the way she was burned. The newspaper article said that she was set afire, but that wasn't the case. No mattress fire could have done what happened to her body. The entire right side of her body had been disintegrated, like a sci-fi horror show, disintegrated, vaporized, gone. What was left of the right arm was a small protruding carbon stump. From her armpit to her hip, you could see inside her. Her internal organs were visible. But her hair was unburned. She had multiple post-mortem stab wounds on her limbs, crotch, and abdomen. The fatal wound was a stab wound directly to the heart. Someone had carefully lifted up her breast slid an instrument between her ribs to pierce the heart, meaning, of course, that she was still alive after whatever had disintegrated the right side of her body. Neighbors described her as kind, caring. She loved flowers. She was well-known and well-respected. Who would do such a thing?
Who was this woman, and what led to her horrific fate? She was Dr. Mary Sherman, an orthopedic surgeon and scientific cancer researcher. She had published many medical articles. She was well-known and had years of respect in the medical community. To understand why she was murdered is the same answer for how she was murdered, or rather, what could cause such a horrific, mysterious wound. And upon uncovering the truth about that, we kick open the door to her secret bioweapons laboratory of cancer-causing monkey viruses. Let's get to know the players in this nefarious conspiracy. It is the summer of 1963. 20-year-old Judy Very Baker is a driven young scientist from Florida. After watching her beloved grandmother die in childhood, she devoted her life to defeating cancer. She decided she wanted to learn all that she could about this disease in hopes of finding a cure. Even before high school, her cancer research with fish had been receiving local attention. This was the Cold Era this was the Cold War era. And all the rage was young scientist whiz kids who would help win the war against communism. In her fish cancer research, she had managed to breed a heretical line of cancerous fish. Mentored by teachers, she expanded that work to mice. She finished high school and found a way of accelerating cancer in her work with mice. This is what caught the attention of Dr. Alton Oshner, president of the American Cancer Society. It is interesting to note that Dr. Oshner was interested in how she had accelerated the growth of cancer, not that she was working on finding a cure. More on that asshole later. Dr. Oshner contacted Judy and said, How'd you like to be part of this project? It's an upstart program. You'll spend the summer of New Orleans and work with renowned Dr. Mary Sherman. And afterwards, we're going to fast track you to that Tulane Medical School. Of course, Judy agreed. I can imagine being so young, excited, spirited, and ambitious and making her beloved deceased grandmother happy and proud that she... uh probably got a little bit jumbled up in the planning for her trip to New Orleans, and she arrived there a few weeks early. So biding her time, trying to make a few friends, get to know the city and her new surroundings, she uh, met a man who would later become her lover, her protector, and her lab partner. She was mailing or receiving a letter to her fiancé at the post office, when she dropped something, the man in line behind her picked it up and gave it back to her. That's when she locked eyes with Lee Harvey Oswald. It's at this point in the story that in my own research, I'm unclear whether this is the fat-necked Oswald or the wimpy-chinned one, but that's a doorway for another time. I don't think it's any coincidence that Oswald happened to run into her. Obviously, the handlers of this project 
had eyes on Judith and sent Oswald to secure her. Judy and Oswald start hanging out, and they hit it off. Basically, he gives her a tour of the orientation of the uh, role she's going to play in this project. Lee sets her up in an apartment and introduces her to Dr. David Ferry. David Ferry is a strange character, hairless like an eel from head to toe. He glued a wig made of monkey fur to his head and had drawn-on eyebrows. They showed her the lab, which was actually an apartment, an apartment filled with thousands of cancerous mice and some monkeys. This is where she and Lee will work side by side, dicing up tumors in the kitchen. Wow, that sounds like a dream come true. After a few social dinner parties with Dr. Mary, Ferry, Judy, and Lee, and some random Cuban exiles, Ferry goes on a rant and tells her what they're really doing in this apartment. He says this apartment is a covert government operation to create a bioweapon to untraceably assassinate Fidel Castro. And there's another problem. David Ferry is not a real doctor. He's a defrocked priest, an ex-airline pilot, an ex-civil air patrol captain, pilot to mob boss Carlos Marcello, and covert pilot to the CIA. At some point in Ferry's life, he decided to write a letter to the U.S. Department of Defense and said, I want to be a killer. I want to blow the hell out of every communist, red, or what have you. I want to train killers. And I guess it's just that easy, because Ferry did fly combat guerrillas and supplies to training camps, Cuban exiles of the Operation Mongoose. He was with Castro to overthrow Batista in Cuba. Then he was with the Cuban exiles, to overthrow Castro. Judy is having a hard time believing this. So Lee takes her to meet Guy Bannister. Guy Bannister runs a PI firm in town, and he's also part of this increasingly entangled web of CIA, mafia, espionage operation in New Orleans. Guy Bannister tells Judy, don't worry, you're a patriot. It's uh, good work you're doing. We're with the government. It's legit. So they set her up with a cover job at the O'Reilly Coffee Company. The same O'Reilly Coffee Company that's attached to Guy Bannister's office. And she gets the same cover job as Lee Harvey Oswald at the O'Reilly Coffee Company. So they'll clock in there, then slip out to go dice up mice in the nasty cancer kitchen tumor apartment. So they inject the mice with cancer-causing monkey viruses. Then they watch for the fastest-growing tumors, kill those mice, blend up the tumors. It sounds like a good summer of love to me. But where's the part where she gets to go to Tulane Medical School and work with the renowned Dr. Mary Sherman? Well, Dr. Mary is at the other secret lab. The one in the back of Tulane that's guarded by military. The secret laboratory where Dr. Mary Sherman 
takes the choicest cuts of tumor meat and blasts them with radiation from a five million volt linear particle accelerator, the kind of scary as hell nightmarish machine that if you make the wrong move or if somebody booby traps it, the machine will blow your arm off and disintegrate your body. So now we know the how. So what is the why? What is this entangled network of spies, Cuban exiles, and CIA operatives, and mafia connections, and nefarious characters from the JFK assassination doing in a monkey virus bioweapon cancer lab? Let's look into the director of the project, Dr. Auschner. Dr. Asshole Auschner was an extremely influential character in the medical world at the time. President of the American Cancer Society, President of the American College of Surgeons, Chairman of Surgery for the American Medical Asshole Ciation. Titles, 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 awards, and he's got a hospital named after him in New Orleans, the Auschner Clinic, and his favorite thing to do there was work on rich businessmen and political figures from South America. The Kennedy administration, being soft on communism, is getting in the way of that by not invading Cuba to kill Castro. And I am of the mind that he really wanted to use his new South American friends to expand his medical practices into Cuba and return the island back to America's banana brothel for other higher-up friends. So here's a little story about a monkey virus. In the late 1950s, the scare was polio. The media really hammered it, how terrible it was and how widespread it was. Of 1950, there were reportedly 33,000 polio cases and not all of them were completely severe. Nevertheless, the people were afraid. They wore masks, and they wore gloves, and they were afraid to buy fruit. And everybody would watch the news and read the newspapers, and they were afraid of this viral outbreak. Newspapers printed images, and black and white TV and news showed crippled children inside iron lungs, much like today's ventilators. The White House and officials were in a panic and scrambled scientists to create a vaccine. Dr. Stalk is heralded in the news as a headline reads, His vaccine works! The idea of learned immunity. They take a small amount of the disabled polio virus and inject it into a healthy person whose immune system will attack it and learn how to beat it, creating antibodies. So when they ever come into the contact in the wild with the actual virus, they'll know how to destroy it. Their immune system will. But when tested the vaccine on a group of monkeys, all the monkeys died. So to the scientist hoarder, this wasn't a crippled version of the polio virus. It was just live polio. But it was too late. The country was already planned to receive mass inoculations. The scientists said, we can't go forward with this. And the Medical Asshole Association, 
the medical asshole CIA Association said, we've already begun. And they've got a bunch of accredited doctors and respected people like Dr. Oshner, who marched his grandchildren up to be vaccinated to show how safe it was. His grandson was dead within 48 hours, and his granddaughter got polio. But wait, there's more. Besides giving people the polio vaccine, it also gave them polio and cancer-causing monkey viruses because they grew the polio vaccine on monkey kidneys, and when they extracted it, they also picked up the viruses from the monkeys, SV40, Simeon virus 40, a monkey virus that causes cancer. And now, from Judy Baker's demonstration with fish passing cancer to their babies, is it likely that our parents passed the shit from the polio vaccine onto us? SV40 is a DNA virus, so yeah, it, it might be likely. Of the time of the polio scare, maybe 1 in 10,000 people would have been known to have cancer. Today, it's 1 in 3. So back to 1963. As fall approached, things were getting tense around New Orleans. Oswald seemed to be overtly sheep-dipping himself into a communist sympathizer, and he goes on radio talk shows discussing how he's a Marxist-Leninist. These radio shows and debates were set up by Dr. Oshner, and there was a lot of movement around David Ferry's place with the angry Cuban exiles after that whole Bay of Pigs thing. Judy started getting worried with all the talk around Ferry's place and the Cubans that time is running out and they needed to complete the bioweapon to kill Castro before someone gets the idea to kill Kennedy. The new plan becomes to infect Castro with the cancer, then tell him the radiation is the cure, then the radiation will grow the cancer and it will kill him. People on top of the project decide that the bioweapon is ready for human testing. And they inject a man, a human being, at a mental hospital with it. He's dead within 28 days. He's dead 28 days later. Hmm. Sounds like you could use that for the name of a movie about a viral outbreak. This is not what Judy signed up for. And she writes a what-the-fuck letter to Auschner. And in response, Auschner tells her she's done in medicine forever and that her and Lee are expelled. Lee is ordered by his handlers to go back to Dallas and Judy returns to Florida. David Ferry, through his mafia connections, sets up Judy with a secure phone line to Lee. And Lee calls her two days before JFK is killed warning 
of a real plot to kill Kennedy. She tells Lee he's got to get out of there, but he was in too deep. And he tells Judy he's going to stay in just so there'll be one less bullet fired at Kennedy. Now Kennedy's dead. Oswald gets killed by Jack Ruby. Jack Ruby dies of an extremely fast-acting cancer. In jail, Ruby was begging to be taken to Washington where he could be safe and tell his story before he died. He seemed to know that he had only days before the cancer killed him. The cleanup is underway. And now it's Mary's turn. In the laboratory with the giant linear particle accelerator, there's a steel wall. The operators would stand behind it to protect them. And there was a cable that would ground it out from all the massive electricity. It's possible that someone removed the ground wire and Dr. Mary's right arm was blasted to dust by five million volts when she reached for the machine. After that, stabbing her was putting her out of her misery. Maybe she wasn't the intended target. Maybe the intended target was Dr. Auschner. But after Mary was killed, the killers couldn't let her lead to an investigation surrounding their secret lab. So they dumped her body on her bed and crudely staged a lewd sex slasher crime with post-mortem stab wounds and setting her bed and clothes on fire to explain the condition of her body. After that, the only thing they needed to do was control the local police and the media, which after Dallas, these guys were pros at. David Ferry managed to elude being murdered until February 1967. D.A. Jim Garrison's investigation stirred up too much heat. Now both supervisors of the secret labs are murdered. Today. So we sit here in the middle of a global viral outbreak. Panic and panic and fear. Fear of a coronavirus with a 99 point cent, 99 point (laughs) whatever survival rate. A total beatable virus if you got your immune system getting all the vitamins and minerals it needs. We are in the middle of a global lockdown and a mental health crisis of fear. Knowing what you know now about the polio vaccines and the monkey virus that causes cancer, what would you say if I substituted the word monkey for bat? Is this new bat virus vaccine the next generation of bioweapon from a secret bioweapons lab in Wuhan, China? So far, we know it's got a lot of crap in it. It has messenger RNA. That's the mRNA, which basically reprograms your DNA. Think of it as a, think of it as a uh, computer virus posing as antivirus software, like that McAfee pop-up ad from the early... 2000s on AOL. 
It has the entire genome of a colony jellyfish. This might be the same thing that they are calling luciferesque enzyme. It might be the bioluminescence of the jellyfish so that it will glow so they can tell if you've got it. You know, like a mark, so you're safe to buy and sell. I'm sure it's got mercury in it. If you're rushing to get a vaccine for anything, just really do your research and see what you can do to boost your own immune system. I think that even with all the crap that they put in us and all the crap that they put in our parents and all the crap in our food, we are still strong enough to overcome and counter a lot of these poisons. Another thing that interests me, another ingredient on the list, is this, uh, it's common in all modern vaccines. It's MCR-5. A quick search will bring up Cornell Institute for Medasshole Research. MCR-5 is the tissue from a lung of a 14-week-old white male human aborted fetus from 1966. From 1966. So how is that possible? Because it's a human clone DNA that they have been cloning the same aborted baby's tissue since 1966. Somewhere out there, I imagine there is a giant disgusting tank of swirling green ooze of this clone material and they can harvest it and sell it out for vaccine companies on and on and on and on. And so does that mean that if you've been, uh, that it is, if you've been vaccinated any time after the sixties, do you have this kid in your own DNA? That itself is a topic of another show along with the topic that I mentioned about there being more than one, Oswald. But thanks for listening. Source material for this episode was the book Dr. Mary Sherman by Edward T. Haslam, the book Me and Lee by Judith Ferry Baker, They Killed Our President by Jesse Ventura, a documentary called Evidence of Revision by Red Pill Press, and Dark Legacy by John Hankey, and of course all the work of Jim Mars. I'm your host, Logan. Everything in this episode is written and produced by me. Thanks for listening. Until next time, runners, keep moving. On the Run with Logan is a Water Otter production.